The world is filled with lies and deception, but praise the Lord, we have God's Word as our compass. Otherwise, we would be perplexed and lost. We find ourselves in the midst of a great spiritual war, the war for truth. As individuals, we can't convince the whole world of truth. But in our own spheres of influence, we must remain focused on what the Lord has called each one of us to do. The Jerusalem Channel is made with the support of you, our viewers. Thank you for watching. Shalom, I'm Christine Darg. The Jews are the most consistently hated, murdered people group in history. And why? It's because of their association with God. And they remind people of the God of the Bible. The Jews gave us the Torah, the teaching, the law, the prophets, even Messiah himself. And the only thing the Jews want is a tiny piece of land to live on in peace. Their current land comprises only one-third of one percent of all the Middle East. When you look at a map, Israel is only a minuscule sliver in comparison to the great landmass occupied by Muslims. Humanly speaking, six million Jews should not pose a threat to 1.7 billion Muslims. But the jihadists want all Jews to be killed. As Psalm 83 says, their goal is that the name of Israel should be remembered no more. Because of the perpetual hatred that Esau's descendants harbor against the Jews. Meanwhile, the percentage of the world's population that is Muslim is 1.7 billion or 21% of 8 billion persons on this planet. But the percentage of the world's population that is Jewish is comparatively insignificant, only 16 million. I heard Pastor Jim Garlow calculate that two-tenths of one percent of eight billion persons, a very, very small minority indeed. This battle for truth has been going on since the beginning of time. The very first words of evil recorded in the Bible question God's truth. In Genesis 3.1, Satan asked Eve, did God really say that you shall not eat from all the trees of the garden? The forbidden fruit represented self-will. Would Eve ignore God's rule or yield to the tempter? Well, according to the Hebrew for Christians website, Eve's unbelief of God's word is the reason why we must be saved by faith as a reversal of the original sin. We have to believe in God's word by faith. In the end, there are going to be only two types of people, people of faith who love truth and unbelievers who love the lie. Increasingly, these two groups are children of light versus children of darkness. Followers of Yeshua the Messiah are told to walk as children of light and to put on the armor of light to be a holy people, separate from the evil in this fallen world. 
just as the very first creative act of God in Genesis chapter one was separating light from darkness. The children of light hate evil and love the good, and the children of darkness hate the good and love evil. Spiritual warfare is therefore a fight for sanity and truth in a world that prefers madness and self-deception. For near on half a century now, the Lord has been raising up millions of Christians who understand Israel's role in God's purpose of world redemption. And we have come to Israel's defense in love and comfort. We know from Bible prophecies that Israel's modern day restoration is not an accident of history, but rather Israel's remarkable existence is evidence of God's faithfulness to his covenant that he made with Abraham 4,000 years ago. It is this emerging company of believers, Bible believers, that must now step forward into the current battle and like David, take down the giant of Goliath with determined intercession and fasting prayer. As my friend, author Malcolm Heading has stated, we have been called for this hour. Let's arise to the challenge and trust God to help us to be faithful. Surely our great need is to have heart, to find strength, resolution, and steadfast determination to walk boldly during these dangerous days, leading up to the time known in Bible prophecy as the Great Tribulation. And we are not without God's help, of course. The Lord promised us that His Holy Spirit would be called alongside us to comfort us and guide us on our life's journey. In fact, the English word comfort literally means to give strength, an idea similar to the verb encourage, that is to put heart, core within the soul. In Hebrew, the word courage is expressed by the phrase omets lev, meaning strong of heart, denoting an inner quality of the will rather than of the intellect. Our faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Well, the testimony of a former Iranian Hezbollah terrorist, Afshin Javed, has greatly encouraged me lately. Even though he had tried to keep all the rules and regulations of Islam, Javed knew he was not holy and that God was justified in condemning him. In a jail cell, he cried out to God, forgive me, forgive me, even though he didn't think God would forgive him. But nevertheless, he felt a touch on his shoulder and he heard a voice say, I forgive you. And then he felt a weight lift off of his being and Javed knew he was forgiven. But at the same time, he was perplexed. This forgiving God was a different God than the one he had studied in Islam. So he asked, who are you that forgives me? And the voice replied, I am the way, the truth and the life. And then the former jihadist asked, what is your name? And the voice said, Jesus Christ. Well, Javed said the impact and shock of this revelation was like someone had grabbed all of his bones out of his body and he just collapsed on the floor like a piece of meat, weeping. He was as if he had been colorblind. His dreary life of hatred and revenge had been colorless. And now suddenly Javed saw life in technicolors. Well, the unconverted jihadists are drunk, exhilarated, 
intoxicated on the bile of hatred. In fact, Zechariah 12:2 declares, God says, behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness. But this hatred and anti-Semitism is soon going to be vanquished. That's what Bible prophecy teaches. Israel is prophesied to rise again as the chief of the nations when King Messiah, Jesus, returns and rules this world from Jerusalem with a rod of iron for a thousand years. Then tribal jealousy and blood rage will be bound. Anti-Semitism will be purged. For Habakkuk 2.14 declares, As the waters cover the sea, the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. During the millennium, Jesus will reign as king over Israel and all the nations. The world will live in peace, Satan will be bound, and everyone will worship God. The purpose of the thousand-year reign of Messiah is to fulfill various covenants God made with Israel and the Messiah. For example, the prophecy that the angel Gabriel gave to the mother of Jesus in Luke 1, verses 31 to 33 is yet to be fully fulfilled. Gabriel had prophesied to Mary, Behold, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, Yeshua. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Well, we're still waiting for the second part of Gabriel's prophecy to be fulfilled when Jesus, the son of David, actually rules from David's throne in Jerusalem. But first he had to come and fulfill all of the Bible prophecies concerning the suffering servant, the Savior. Some of the sages have noted that God's judgment comes in stages. The final stage of human history and lawlessness is people being given over to a depraved mind, a condition of being unable to reason properly and to think straight. Since truth is essentially grounded in a sense of value and value is a function of conscience, a depraved mind is literally insane from a spiritual perspective. People who are devoid of conscience are unable to reason along the lines of ethical truth. And as war rages from time to time in the Middle East, I believe with all of my heart that the God of the Bible is the same today. When his people cried unto him by reason of their tormentors, in Bible days he raised up deliverers. Expect this in days to come as Israel faces bloodthirsty enemies on many fronts. Judges 3, 9, and 10 state that when the children of Israel cried to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer to the children of Israel who delivered them. The book of Judges mentions 12 deliverers, judges who were saviors in Israel, including Ophniel, Ehud, Shamgar, Deborah, Gideon, Yair, Jephthah, and the strong man Samson. There's nothing new under the sun, and jihadists have become the proverbial thorns in the sides of the Israelis. And we see in the Bible, in the book of Judges 3, 9, but when the Israelites cried out to the Lord, he raised up for them a deliverer. In Hebrew, that word is Moshiach. 
meaning a savior. When Israel sinned, Nehemiah 9.27 summarized this phenomena. It says, so you, Lord, handed them over to their enemies who made them suffer. But in their time of trouble, they cried to you and you heard them from heaven. In your great mercy, you sent them liberators who rescued them from their enemies. And Psalm 107 verse 13 is also a summary of this history. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he did what? He saved them out of their distresses. The Bible commentaries on the book of Judges teach us that great men and women are needed by the world and owe their greatness to God. Many of those biblical judges sprang from obscure families. They were not hereditary rulers, but men and a woman, Deborah, sent by God. The first of these judges, Ophniel, his name means God's lion, did belong to the honorable family of Caleb, but even Ophniel is described as owing his greatness to God. The mission of great men and women varies according to the needs of their generation, but they are sent by God. When the people cry unto the Lord, the Lord in his mercy raises up a deliverer. Whoever believes in providence will recognize that such individuals are surely raised up by God and their powers come from God. The spirit of the Lord came upon the judge Ophniel. And it says the spirit of the Lord also came upon the strong men, Samson. These judges became lion-like men of war under the influence of God's spirit. And they were prophetic pictures of the lion of Judah, Jesus, Yeshua, the savior of the world who will return as a conqueror. Well, Israel's enemies have centuries of stored up malice. You see, we're taught in Ezekiel 25, 15 and in Ezekiel 35, 5, that Amalek, the grandson of Esau, will have a perpetual enmity against Israel. And this continual aggression and harboring of hatred is manifesting still in our world today with Iran and other enemies trying to destroy Israel. By contrast, many believers continue to be like Aaron and Hur, who were intercessors who held up the arms of Moses. We must uproot and defeat the manifestation of Israel's intractable foe, Amalek. In this artwork, the weariness of Moses can be seen, as well as the strength and comfort of intercessory ministers of help. Israel is exceedingly weary of hatred and vile anti-Semitism and is crying for deliverance, as in the days of biblical judges. We pray for the Lord to shorten the time of Israel's deception under the Antichrist. And we pray for the hastening of Israel's reconciliation with Yeshua. Meanwhile, the rabbis say the spirit of Amalek was an inherited hatred from his grandfather Esau, the twin brother of Jacob. Esau made the most stupid mistake by forfeiting his birthright in an exchange with Jacob for a bowl of soup. Esau wanted fast food rather than the family blessing from his father. The bitterness grew between the brothers because Jacob had connived to steal the blessing by buying the birthright in exchange for that bowl of pottage. 
Jacob managed to placate Esau in their generation. But we see resurrected in Esau's grandson, Amalek, a festering anger over Esau's former disinheritance. And the spirit still wants revenge. But in Ezekiel 35, 36, God prophesied against Mount Seir, the territory of Esau. He said, behold, I'm against you. Why? Because you cherish perpetual enmity. You harbored an ancient hostility and you deliver the Israelites over to the sword at the time of their calamity. But still the spirit of Amalek whines that this land of Israel should be his, although God promised it to Isaac and Jacob. Nevertheless, Amalek says defiantly, I will take possession of it. Even Arabic church leaders have adopted this mentality, saying the promised land is really theirs. It's their treasure. It doesn't belong to the Jews, they say, although God says it does belong to the Jews. So a hegemonic principality covets all the land of Israel and manifests itself as the spirit of Amalek, Israel's ancient enemy, with which the Lord says he will have war from generation to generation. This hegemonic spirit is completely irrational. As when we see on a map, Israel, a tiny sliver, compared to the other countries in the Middle East, and yet Israel is being demanded to give up more and more of its meager territory. Do you see why the global church is being called upon to raise up a standard and to resist the resurgence of the spirit of Amalek? The spirit of Amalek in the Bible is a wicked anti-Semitic force that is determined to wipe out the people of God. After the children of Israel were delivered out of Egypt, the Amalekites attacked Israel before their important encounter with God at Mount Sinai, where they were given their identity as custodians of God's moral law. The Amalekites ambushed Israel in a bloodthirsty war at Rephidim. Theirs was an unprovoked attack from behind after Israel had crossed the Red Sea. Because of this and their many other sins, God vowed in Exodus 17:14 to blot Amalek out from under heaven. And the Israelites prevailed in battle when Moses held up his arms. But it was so tiring for Moses to hold up his arms while the battle raged. So those two men, biblical pictures of intercessors, Aaron and Hur, held up the arms of Moses and the Israelites prevailed, winning a decisive battle. When we look later in Bible history, the Amalekites raided Ziklag, but David strengthened himself in the Lord and he and his men pursued the Amalekites and they recovered all. And in the days of Queen Esther, the spirit of Amalek and one of his descendants, Haman, rose up to attempt a holocaust against Israel, but thankfully it failed. Now, after 2000 years of exile, Israelis are back in their land prior to the second coming of Jesus. And they are once again being attacked by their neighbors to try to thwart God's end time agenda. We shouldn't be surprised because God's word says in Exodus 17, 16, because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord, the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. And indeed, it's still happening. Imagine the presumption. This spirit is attempting to touch the very throne, meaning the very authority of God and his word. 
Well, in the days of King Saul, there was war with Amalek and Saul was instructed to wipe them out, but he allowed the Amalekite king named Agag to survive. The prophet Samuel rebuked Saul for his negligence and David was raised up instead as a king after God's own heart. But if we fast forward in history, as I said, a descendant of King Agag living in Persia was Haman the Agite who decided in his wicked heart that he would start a holocaust to annihilate the Jewish people. But God raised up Queen Esther to fast and pray and the dire situation was overturned. Haman was hanged on the gallows that he had erected for Mordecai the Jew. And once again, the Jewish people experienced a great victory, a deliverance over the spirit of Amalek. So we see patterns in this word of God In the first battle with Amalek, Moses' intercession won the battle. And in the book of Esther, fasting added to prayer won the day. The president of the International Christian Embassy, Jerusalem, Dr. Jurgen Bueller, recently stated that whenever the Amalek spirit manifests, it's always a watershed moment for Israel. The latest atrocities against Israel have happened on the threshold of the climax of Israel's long history. For we believe that soon Jesus will return and set up his millennial government. So Satan has been trying hard to prevent this by attacking Israel. For many decades, we intercessors have been anticipating the unfolding of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon Jerusalem, as foretold in Zechariah 12 and 13. And as we pray for a restraint upon Israel's enemies, many accuse intercessors of praying so-called Old Testament type prayers. But remember that even Jesus in the New Testament was just as adamant in pronouncing judgments on sinners. For example, many Jewish women and children, even little babies, were slaughtered or kidnapped by the terror group Hamas. There's nothing more vulnerable than an innocent baby. But this evil brought to my mind the pronouncement from Jesus in Luke chapter 17, verses 1 to 2. Woe, he said, divine penalty, disaster, and calamity. Woe upon evildoers who harm children. Jesus said it would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to offend one of these little ones. I want us to be aware of something. After the Gaza war broke out, I noticed an increase of social media posts claiming that the modern nation of Israel is not the Israel of the Bible. That error is a bold-faced denial of Bible prophecies and of the ability of God to regather his ancient people as he promised he would do. Time and time again, I've warned against this false teaching called replacement theology. But I'm continually surprised by the number of so-called professing Christians who are beginning to get behind this lie. I'm surprised at their defiant stance and lack of Bible knowledge. Because of the worst attack in modern history on Israel since the Holocaust, there have been many calls on churches to dedicate services to pray for Israel, the people of the Bible. We must help Israel survive when Satan comes in like a flood. Isaiah 59, 19 says the Lord will raise up a standard against him. In fact, a significant element among an army of volunteers is a group of Christians from a disaster relief organization in Texas. They came to help the Jewish people in their hour of need. Faced with simple human decency among people who really do understand the difference between good and evil, 
Tears of gratitude flowed in Israel because someone cared and came thousands of miles to help. But the accuser of the brethren slanders Jews and Christians. In Revelation 12, we see in this chapter, the great dragon hurled down to earth, that ancient serpent called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He's hurled to the earth along with his angels with him. And a loud voice in heaven says, now have come the salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. He who accuses them day and night before our God. They have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto death. Therefore, O heavens, rejoice in you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea. With great fury, the devil has come down to you, knowing he has but a short time. And so the devil in his fury persecutes Israel. In Revelation 12, 13, when the dragon saw that he'd been thrown to the earth, he pursued the woman, which is Israel, who had given birth to the male child, the Messiah. And the dragon was enraged at the woman. And that's where we are. I heard somebody say the other day, we should read the book of Revelation every week because it's unfolding before our eyes. However, God's plans and purposes for Israel will prevail. It's important in this dangerous hour that we have an assurance of our salvation in Messiah. Even atrocities of the worst kind can be forgiven, but we must seek pardon from God. And where can a person go for pardon? Where is forgiveness truly to be found? There's a way both sure and plain, and that way is simply to put your trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Yeshua is his Hebrew name. Cast your soul with all of its sins unreservedly on the Savior. Cease completely from any dependence on your own merits and put your confidence in the Messiah's atoning death on the cross. Put your faith in no other righteousness, but in his righteousness. Put your faith in no other merit, but in the Messiah's merit as our only ground of hope. And if you will do this sincerely and call upon the name of Jesus while it's yet time, you will be pardoned for time and eternity. It's so urgent to put your trust in Jesus, the world's only Savior. His resurrection from the dead was God's amen to the atoning work that Jesus accomplished for us on Jerusalem's cross. The resurrection was God's vindication on Jesus' claims. And as an evangelist of Jerusalem's empty tomb, I can say with confidence, along with the Apostle Paul in Romans 10, 9, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is the good news of the gospel. And it's great news for the last days. Amen. Now I'd like quickly to draw your attention to our website, exploits.tv which has all of our videos and reports on Bible prophecy and end time events. We invite you to sign up for our weekly email alert and at our Jerusalem channel app, as well as our Jerusalem channel YouTube site, you can watch all of our videos 24 seven. And for helpful background and commentary, I'm constantly updating my Substack articles at our free website, christinedarg.substack.com. 
Friends, the kingdom of God is at hand. Soon we'll hear the sound of the shofar and see King Messiah. So if you have any questions, feel free to contact me on social media. And until next time, I'll always be contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem. Shalom. I'm Christine Daring. Maranatha.